Everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, the mixtape. We're now in year 1989, and John's with me to discuss our top 10 albums of that year. How's it going, John? I'm doing okay. Yeah. How are you? Relatively, I'm melting. <laughs> you could sop me up with a biscuit. I'm definitely taking a shower after this recording because it's already roasting. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, for me. Yeah, well, 10.30 here, but... Uh... Yeah, it's still pretty warm outside. All right, so what we do is uh, we go back and forth with our top ten albums, not necessarily liking each other's. That's kind of the game we play, and uh, you'll notice if I don't say much or he doesn't say much. <laughs> All right, so I guess we flip the coin digitally, virtually. Uh, I am going first. So my first album is XTC, XTC Oranges and Lemons. Okay, yeah, this is one where I kind of warned you I might have to lean heavily on you. Uh, I I did listen to the whole thing, so before anyone, you know, like, my lack of things, I did listen to the whole thing. Uh, Across the Ant Heap was really, like, the only song I liked, but it's like, I, I, they were going for that, that, that faux 60s sound, uh-huh. and it, it just wasn't doing it for me. It's not as strong as some of their other work. I struggled again to get to 10. I have a list here of what didn't make it, but um, I just think the first... This is weird. This is like their most uh, successful American breakthrough. Of course, college radio is different than like you know top 40 Billboard because um, I think the previous album was much bigger in college radio. But uh, this one uh, is just... I think maybe the problem is they went too expansive. There's so many songs and they're so long. I can't believe it's a four-side vinyl. It's so strange to think of that when it only has like twelve songs. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Uh, it, like I said, it's there's I I enjoy the music of the '60s. There's stuff like uh, in a lot of the different revivals that that you kind of get. Kind of how over the years, uh, like everything that's about twenty years old starts to kind of get popular again. Yeah. Uh, you kind of get that up, uptick of things, and I can see where the '60s feeling—you know—people would want to get into that that feeling again, especially considering that it's '89, so it's like the fall, you know, uh, the end of uh, the USSR and things like that. Well, we're in the whole Vietnam, you know, looking back era, and I remember this year is when everybody started wearing tie dye. And getting into the doors and stuff like that. And I think this is the only album. They always had a pop sensibility, but this is the only one that I think that feels retro. And I do think that's a, a detriment to it because the previous albums were like of the now. They were modern rock. Yeah, and they, I think there's some bands who can do retro stuff uh, while I, you know, they're totally off, not off topic, but. Uh, Muse did their like 80s-esque album a couple of years back and I think that was a strong effort especially yeah. Rooney is known for going through certain uh, decades with their music trying to replicate that sound yeah well it's like especially because Muse tried doing dubstep in one of their albums and it's fucking unlistenable really I haven't heard that one I haven't listened to anything in quite a while from them oh god it's like the second step or something like that okay. and <laughs> has a very dubstepy sound to it and it's it's so bad it it genuinely made me want to hate the band completely 
but then but then they did an 80s esque album and i was happy do you again. feel like of uh the nine years that we've done no no we've done 10 now i forgot because we got uh, in 1980 counts um do you think this was the hardest to get through i almost thought about telling you just part back to five no i actually i had a lot of stuff there where i genuinely sat down and went okay i am not going to do x x x you know certain albums because i did not want to deprive you of choices oh okay yeah i was yeah it was rough for me this year but um what's your I, first one then we're gonna go into what almost made it okay my very first one how about i do skinny puppies rabies um, that for me started off a little rough, but a really a few of your albums I feel like start off rough, and I thought about bailing. But if you hold on to like the third or fourth single, then everything lines up. Well, and that's the thing is, it Skinny Puppy is one of these founding bands of industrial rock, and they influence so many people. But it's like, uh, you know, hell, Trent Reznor pretty much ripped off their '86 uh, song "Dig It" for uh, "Down in It." Yeah. I thought there was something familiar about that. Yeah, so it's basically, this is a band that's very harsh, very uh, aggressive. It is not necessarily uh, very accessible music, but this album, Rabies, and this was, I was, I was trying to decide on doing a Skinny Puppy album at some point because they're really great albums. But I knew that if I can't do, like, Mind the Perpetual Intercourse or something like that, I would have to do Rabies because Rabies, again, is, if you're going to talk about accessible in them, this is probably it. <laughs> there was a, a kid I hung out with. We actually had a radio show together for a couple years. Uh, his name is Aaron, and he listened to a lot of this stuff. I really could not get into it, and he really was like, he, he wouldn't push on me, but he would try it out every once in a while and see what I thought. And, I like this. I, the whole industrial thing, of course, is the fact it sounds like a factory, but mixed in with lots of samples. It was like their version of hip hop. '89 is when all of a sudden, like, layered samples were all over the place in music, and industrial was way ahead of hip hop. Yeah, this very much. Uh, well, it's partially because the idea is to uh, basically kind of yeah create these soundscapes. And uh, Skinny Puppy, for their part, is essentially like a horror film put to music. Yeah, uh, I think of the movie Hardware. As, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is, you know, because they're a very political band, so a lot of their stuff is, like, about animal rights and, uh, you know, the horrors of war and, you know, these political stuff. And, like, I mean, one thing to, you know, to make mention about them was, allegedly, their music was used to torture prisoners in Guantanamo Bay. Which pissed the band off. They <laughs> went and sued the U.S. government for uh, using their music without without their permission. Oh yeah, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, yeah, it these are this is a band that their tours at the time were like horror film sets and stuff. They spent a lot of time creating a visual aesthetic that matched this uh, thing. And you know, I mean, this this album has Tin Omen and uh, Warlock, which are pretty much the the only radio hits that this band really ever had up until, God, what, 2004, I think, something like that, whenever their, their comeback record came out. But, yeah, this... 
but this is like uh, one of the reasons why his ministry, uh, Al Jurgens from Ministry, worked on this album with them, as long along with uh, Dave Rave Ogilvy, who Dave Rave Ogilvy has worked with Carly Rae Jepsen. Dave <laughs> I did not expect men, that. Men without hats, Tool, Motley Crue. I mean, <laughs> amongst amongst all sorts of like industrial groups too. It's like. Yeah, there's kind of a reason why this isn't as punching you in the face hard. Even though it's very harsh, very dystopian, very, you know, very punch you in the face hard. Yeah. So I fought off a sneeze like five minutes ago and I keep sniffing, so I apologize. I'm not doing lines of coke. Alright, well what is your next one? Alright, so, um, well first off, let's discuss the, no, hold on a second, I was going to say, let's discuss the ones that didn't make the list, but then we're going to, we're not going to be able to surprise the audience, so never mind, we'll wait, we'll get to the very end. Um, Alright, so my second one is Elvis Costello Spike, which actually was my first one, but I read this list out of order, so I apologize. And this is the album, I think this is the first album, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I think this is the first album I actually gave up on. Yeah, it's... Look, like I said, I struggled to get to 10. I liked it a little bit better than I... Obviously, I, I finished it. But um, I just remember this one being kind of significant because he had disappeared for a few years. Like, he made albums, but they weren't really pushed by the label. And I just remember, like, seeing this cover everywhere for a while, and it got good reviews. It got his first top 10 in a long... Or, uh, whatever, top 40 song in quite some time. And uh, I, I... Do you enjoy Elvis Costello, or is he not really your... Kind of thing. He's, he's not my thing, and that's kind okay. of things like I gave it. A, I gave it the gold college try. I got eight songs into this. Oh, okay, that's better. It's farther I got than one of your albums. <laughs> but I got bored. I was just okay. Let's skip. Oh, this is why it was a big deal because he hadn't played with the attraction since 1977. And so it was a 12-year gap between him and, and playing with them on that and Spike. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could. I wish this was something I could have enjoyed. I, I, I'm always open for new and interesting stuff, but... Yeah, we're good. That, no need to yeah. go into it. I didn't have much to say either, so uh, your turn. All right. Well, I spoke of Nine Inch Nails, so how about... Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. Fucking love this album. I don't even like industrial music, but I fucking love this album. I like all the Nine Inch Nails albums. Um, and I, the minute I popped this in, I was like, oh yeah, I remember all these because I have an uncle who's just a few months older than me, and he had this album, and I was like, I had heard Head Like a Hole in a movie called Prayer of the Roller Boys. Boy, that's a deep cut for all you fucking nerds. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember, like, that song was pretty cool, and someone I knew had seen the movie recently, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's Nine Inch Nails. I was like, who is Nine Inch Nails? That's a hell of a name. And then um, I saw that album at my uncle's house, I listened to it, and yeah, I, it's still, from day one, he knew exactly what he wanted it to sound like. He somehow makes industrial pop friendly. I mean, I mean if you know what I mean. Well, that's the thing. It's like, this is very much like, uh, when I write it down, it's like, it's, this record's, as much as it's an industrial record, and uh, it's really like a blend of new wave and rock, more so than anything else that you would ever find in industrial. At least on this album, yeah, it goes it goes a lot harder, and then it kind of goes far more into alternative for a little while. And then he goes, then he did, it, then he had probably the most industrial album 
since uh, what Downward Spiral with Year Zero, but it's like this is a guy who people. It's like Nice Tales has always been an industrial act, but it's one of those groups where it's like Metallica and stuff like that, where he got big, so he sold out, so he's not industrial. You know that sort of right. uh, that sort of thing. But it's but the thing is, there are people who do electronic-based stuff like him, like, say, Marilyn Manson or Rob Zombie, where it's like, Manson is more of a metal band that uses electronic elements. Rob Zombie's solo stuff is a little bit more industrial than, say, White Zombie was. Right, yeah, yeah. Although, you know, the the last uh, Astro Creep is definitely an industrial album, but, you know, it's like, you start going down this rabbit hole of, you know, would Power Man 5000 be this? Because Nine Snails definitely is. But, uh, God, this is one of those albums that it's insane that they had a TBT, thought this album was shit. <laughs> and he was just going to kill Rezzer's career. But because it, you know, it, it hit and it hit big, it actually allowed him to go seek out Interscope Records and start, and he just started recording the Wish EP in secret. And, you know, basically it, it allowed him to get out of out of the out of TVT space and into uh, a place where he was allowed to grow, you know, grow musically. And and the thing is, I'm always referring to Night Snails as Tread Reznor because kind of like KMFDM in a way, he is the band. Right. And everyone else is a guest on it. Right. Because what's his face? Patrick went on to do. Did he leave after this album to go create Filter? No, I think he was. I think he was on Wish. At least he was at least on Wish. Maybe he was on uh, Downward. But yeah, you had you had him. You had uh, you know Charlie Charlie Closer. Uh, you have Atticus Ross is now in the band. Is probably the only what uh, if you're gonna say anyone is Nine Snails with Trent Reznor right now? It's Atticus Ross. You know what's terrible is I feel like such a fucking poser whenever I hear you talk about music because you know all the people. And I'm like, well, if they're not an A-list band, I don't know the most. <laughs> even then, I barely know. Well, even then, I there's a lot of people who've been in Nine Snails, and I can't remember them all. I just think the, the silliest, you know, the silly craziest thing is uh, what stuff that Trent Reznor did bef- before and alongside this. Because he did a song for uh, he was uh, one of the members of a band called Pigface, uh, which is like an industrial collective. Uh-huh. And and the song that the song that he did with that also ended up on the Wish EP. Did so, I ever so. tell you? I worked at a hotel and there was the night guy. And I'm telling you right now, nearly every single last person who works overnight at a hotel is uh, is probably fried mentally from being up all night. And this guy would stay up all night working on his computer trying to recreate his version of Nine Inch Nails music. Because Trent Reznor was his favorite artist. And I would listen to it and I was like, yeah, I think you're missing what works in Nine Inch Nails, but I didn't want to tell him that. And then one day he's like, I'm going to be famous, I'm going to release an album, I quit. And I was like, just go, please just go. (laughs) And then that guy became... Uh, shoot, I'm trying to think about industrial bandit. <laughs> that guy became, hey, do you want large or medium or super size? <laughs> that guy was Kirtsov from Bile. There we go. Okay. I don't, I, that's such a fucking deep cut. I don't even know what the hell that means. But go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I needed someone. I, I needed someone okay. to quickly think of a name. <laughs> 
but yeah, it's he did that uh, with with Al Jurgensen. Of that he did, uh, he was on uh, One Thousand Homo DJs, uh, <sighs> like only only re- couple release, which has has probably one the only good song is they did a cover of Supernaut, and apparently there is a version that does have Trent Reznor's vocals. Uh huh. And then one that is allegedly Al Jurgensen's vocals, although Al says that all he did was just he treated uh, Trent's vocals so that you couldn't tell. Oh, okay. But it is a very, uh, it's a hell of a cover, though. Did it take a while for this album to hit? Because when I saw that it was 1989, I was thrown off because I thought this was 91. Yeah, it well, it was a bit of a slow burn because it didn't get promoted. It was just kind of, everyone just, it got Word released. And word of mouth kind of brought it, and all of a sudden people were just going, whoa, what is this? But of course, you know, like I said, this is the, without this amazing stepping stone, although let's let's all admit to ourselves, Sin, the only good version of Sin is actually the live version. Sin's not a bad song, but you listen to that live version off, off that live album that, it, that they released, and it is 10,000 times better than this album cut. Okay. But, uh, you know, tr- imagine this world. Trent Reznor doesn't get this album out. Wish doesn't happen. And then we don't get Wish winning, being the only Grammy winning song with the lyrics, Fist Fuck. Okay. <laughs> what kind of world would we be living in if would... that didn't happen? <laughs> Worse than this one? Really? Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, is it my turn? Dark room. It is your turn. Okay, so we're starting to get to the better stuff, but I still got one more, like, ah, fine, I'll throw it on the list. Uh, cult, Sonic Temple. I just turned like I was from New Orleans. My accent just went weird there. Let me try again. Cult, Sonic Temple. <laughs> um, I do not think it's as good as the last album by any means, um, because I feel like they were going for their own sound, but mixed in with some of the Doors metal. That's its biggest weakness. Well, it's, that's the thing. Is, as much as I give Bob Rock shit for being the guy who, quote-unquote, ruined Metallica, um, yeah, he did a good job with this album. It's like, yeah, it, you're right. It's less it's less on the far less gothy. It's far less uh, rock. You know, Rick Rubin definitely brought in his own, his own style on electric. This one, and like I said, Bob Rock, who worked, you know, worked with like Bon Jovi and Motley Crue and stuff like that. He is there for radio sounds, and in a way, I think this is probably the album that sounds the most complete. Where it's like, I don't not don't necessarily think that it's better than Electric or or Love. Both of those albums, you know, have a uh, special place in my heart. But I do think that. That, including Sonic Temple, it is a trifecta of really good albums that they have, and it probably they're the best of the cult are these three albums. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. They had more than three albums? I thought they broke up after this album. Am I wrong? You're wrong. They have a whole bunch of albums. Oh, shit. I guess they, we just stopped hearing about them. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They they kind of faded away. They, I, God, what? There's, like, at least two, two or three more albums... Then there was a there was a pretty long hiatus, and then they came back like uh, in the two thousand in like the two thousand tens. Oh, okay. Because they have 
they had one album that I think came out in 2012, and I think the other was like in 2016 or 17. Yeah, there's not so, much to say about this one, so I'm going to go ahead and just move along. Yeah, well, Edie and uh, Firewoman, of oh, course, is the big Firewoman one. Yeah. Are, are the are the two are the two hits, and they're goddamn right, they're the hits. They're yeah. <laughs> but all right, for me, let's finish. Let's finish. Well, actually, no, I don't have to finish my industrial thing because I got a little bit more to do. But Ministry, a mind is a terrible thing to taste. I'm stepping out of this one. I bailed after like three songs. I just couldn't get through it. Oh man, because this has uh, like, God. So what is amazing? Thieves, which is one of like the first tracks on there, which is one of their bigger songs. Burning inside, breathe. Like heck, it had it. It has a rap song on it. Track called uh, Test. Features this uh, New York rapper named K Light, but effectively this was kind of the culmination of that Ministry style evolution because you had the first album that we listened to, which was that uh, total new wave thing. Then it kind of went to like a uh, industrial dancey type thing, a little harsher but still a little mellow. Then the first album that they did, uh, Land of uh, Rape and Honey, which end up having a lot of metal influence then he hit this one and it's now all it's now what we know ministry to be it's the heavy guitars it's the high high speed uh, drum beats it's everything but like really this album is a product of Al Jurgensen's heavy drug use <laughs> and a lot of and a lot of discord uh, so basically no one in the band really collaborated. They just kind of wrote stuff and then, you know, went, oh, okay, that's what you did? All right, well, let's let's try this with that. And they Oops. kind of built this album out of chaos. And it's... It sounded like chaos to me, and I think that's yeah, why I it's, quit. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not their... It isn't their best album. Actually, that would be the, that would be the following album. But it's about where they it's getting to the point where they do kind of plateau for a little while and then it's I'll be honest a little bit of I love ministry but mixed results from from uh, Psalm 69 after after that album but that would be it all right so my next selection is Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever and looking up his uh, discography last night I didn't realize that he I don't understand the point he would make all those albums with the Heartbreakers, but then every once in a blue moon he would go off on his own, making songs that basically sounded just like the ones he made with the Heartbreakers. So what was the fucking point? So this one is, I think, his first solo album. He did three of them. And uh, it's, I think it's his biggest album. And these songs are massive. I, was, I remember the videos were everywhere, and the songs just wouldn't leave the radio, and I never get sick of them. But um, the one that no one ever talks about from this is Running Down a Dream, and I think that is the best single on this by far. Oh, I, I'm surprised you're saying that, because I would have said, you know, that that's one of the songs I, I know, like, the best of being the, as a single. Maybe it's I because mean, at work we play Tom Petty all the time, but we never play this one. And this one just has a really great intro. That, that guitar riff is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is, what's amazing about this album is the eight just... If you're just looking at it as a record, the A side of this album is better than most full, you know, full-length LPs yeah. 
hands down. Like, and this is a hell of an album. The you know side B is still great, but side A is just you know there's nothing bad on it. Every song would improve any album that it's on. It, you had you had uh, put put Never Back Down on that Elvis Costello album, and I'd be 100% far more interested in listening to the rest of that album. Yeah, yeah, the, the juxtaposition between the two albums is uh, not <laughs> is not insignificant. Yeah. But but it's I think it, and ironically this the Full Moon Fever does feature some of the members of the Heartbreakers. Yeah, well, also members of uh, Traveling Wilburys. So it's it's like an oh, yeah. amalgamation of everything that he's done for the last decade in this album. Yeah, it's... I don't want to say this is the last great Tom Petty thing, because he's done... He did some great work after it. But I don't think after this he ever hit anything higher than this album. Now, like, are you talking album, on his own or with the oh, Harper? even even with the heartbreakers like i mean there's some amazing stuff with the heartbreakers i think this is probably like the absolute perfection out like anything he did after this a gets compared to this but yeah, uh, yeah. it's it's that yeah it's that thing where it's like you write a masterpiece how do you follow up on that which album is it that had last dance with mary jane i thought it was the next one but i don't even see that no, that I think it was just a single. Oh, so it's not associated with an album. Okay, I remember that one was yeah. uh, everywhere for a long time. That's a really good one. I can still sing every lyric of that one. Yeah, I think I believe that one just like showed up on like a greatest hits collection. Oh, okay. that would make sense. Yes. Yeah, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure because I think I was I did that too. Like when I first started listening to Petty, I think I was looking for that album, and I'm like, where the hell is that one? I'm looking it up right now. Let's dance and Go ahead. What's your next album while I look this up? All right. Well, my next album is going to be Pop Will Eat Itself. This is the day. This is the hour. This is this. Yeah, you... We were just talking about the fact that, uh, you know, hip-hop was going into heavy samples, and then we have uh, industrial, but now electronica. We, we're, we're coming into the age of, like, Jesus Jones and EMF over the next couple of years, and I feel like these guys were the first... Yeah, like, Popula itself was never a huge band. Even at their biggest, no one, it's like, no one really knew who these people were, or still do, because they still kind of pop in and out every now and then. But they are the people that gave uh, film composer Clint Mansell, you know, he does uh, the vocals on this album, and, you know, Clint Mansell, if you don't know who that is... He's the guy who's composed most of uh, Darren Aronofsky's films. Oh, okay, okay. He did like half of Duncan Jones's things. Uh, he did the sound, uh, soundtrack to uh, Smoke and Aces. He did for DC on for like the DC and HBO Plus shows uh, Titans and Doom Patrol. But it's like this album was produced by Flood, who's done work with like Smashing Pumpkins, New Order, Depeche Mode. Nick Cave and basically this band was a, a Grebo band which was a genre of music that basically kind of blended punk, hip hop, psychedelia and electric dance music and you can hear a lot of the hip hop influences in things like uh, Inject Me 
uh, wise up suckers. Definitely wise up suckers. Yeah, yeah. But there's dance songs like "Can You Dig It." Uh, there's a effectively a pop song, which was Defcon One. But it's like, it's, it's this uh, like, there was one song, uh, "Wake Up, Time to Die," which had this. Uh, Is that from Blade Runner? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Use that sample and. It kind of reminded me of David Essex's uh, "Rock On" and moments where I'm just like, instead of going, "This sounds familiar," and I had to go and actually look, you know, had to go and actually look up, look up the song, and be like, "Oh yeah, there it is. Okay, I hear it." <laughs> but it's of of everything that Pop Will Eat Itself did, this is maybe the maybe the best. You know, they they had a couple of other pretty good albums, but this was probably the like if you're gonna check them out, this is the thing to do because it's probably the most unique of uh, especially of anything released this year. Yeah. So what do you got? Um, just want to let you know that is from his greatest hits album, so it was just to help boost that one, and it was completely separate. It was recorded for Wildflowers, but they decided to put on the greatest hits collection first. Um, my next one is Faith No More, The Real Thing. Ah, this feel, like, I've, I, we, we talked about Faith No More a bit and, like, how I never, as far as I can tell, maybe this, I had heard this album in its entirety, and I still am not entirely certain if I have until doing this, but yeah. uh, it feels like the logical growth from what Red Hot Chili Peppers was doing. Right, yeah. And, and then the fact that we were just talking about the, the mixture of sounds. It, it's just, it's all culminating in 1989. Yeah, and which, which is also kind of funny because that was the controversy about this album. Basically, the the idea that Mike Patton was just biting Anthony Kiedis' style, which is really silly because, you know, yes, there's a little bit of similarity in what... Uh, what Mike Patton's doing, especially in, like, say, uh, uh, oh, God, epic. Uh, this album is far more metal than it is, like, funk. Yeah, well, and of course, every album is different. Yeah, well, that definitely... Oh, I'm sorry, too. I'm sorry, I lost track of what you're, you're saying compared to Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, it's like, this one is a much more metally album that has some funk, has some funk feel to it. Yeah. And that's it. Just yeah, this was this was fun. I uh, I traded baseball cards for this cassette, and I listened to it all the time. And it was a good because baseball cards are worthless. This album is not. Don't tell me that. I've got baseball cards. That I need to try and sell. Fool, you're a damn fool. It still shocks me. People call every day and ask, "Hey, what kind of baseball or sports cards do you have?" In I'm like, "Why do you give a fuck?" Sports cards were around when we didn't have very many video games, and we could watch whatever movie we wanted to. <laughs> I don't understand what the fucking point of a, car, a baseball. Why do it? Why? Sounds like old guys like in their fifties just trying to. I'm gonna make a profit someday. I'll be rich. Yeah, no. I, I I just knew that my comic cards were gonna be worth something in the future. Actually, they are. They're starting to take off now. They, it is a whole thing this last year. Is they're starting to take off. People are starting to slab them. And get them graded. Yeah, mine, mine are definitely not. Uh, no, you better slap them. They're they're five You better pay for it. 
Uh, from Out of Nowhere, of course, is one of the best kickoff songs I've ever heard. Uh, and then it just goes from there. Epic, Falling to Pieces. Falling to Pieces, I think, is actually better than Epic, which was their big hits. And some people are calling one-hit wonders, and that makes my skin fucking curl up and want to attack. Because well, no. There were three-hit so- wonders. <laughs> huh? Yeah, I was going to say, because the next album had a couple hits off it, too, and I'm just confused. Um, and what is it? What's the one, their last single uh, before they broke up? Um... Uh, Last Cup of Sorrow I remember that was a hit So these people don't know what the fuck they're talking about Unless they're talking on Top 40 or something Yeah it's like I well, The only song that people remember let, okay. Let's be honest right. Is Epic, is epic. Doesn't, mean, doesn't mean Midlife Crisis isn't a Isn't a jam or or a, Why can't I think of the song from the last album And the first album And the very first album We the, oh, the, the, uh, we the, care a lot, and we um, care a lot. There you go. What was the other one that was a hit off that? Can't remember. Introduce yourself, but I don't think that was a single. But yeah, definitely, uh, we care a lot. If if you you know they were a one hit wonder, they had like I said, minimum three hits, and you've and you've at least said four. Yeah, it all depends on the radio station, I guess, is what you're talking about, because it says here that it, it hit number nine on uh, the top forty. So I guess that's what they're saying. Uh, looking at this, I didn't know, realize the this is where they got the War Pigs from. It was from the bonus uh, tracks off of the non-vinyl. I don't remember that being on my cassette, so it must have been on the CD. Yeah, I, anytime I'd, I'd seen this album, like a track listing, it's always had War Pigs, and that had always been post-CD release. Okay, yeah, that's always on their greatest hits. Uh, it's just, it's a really fun ride, and it has a lot on its mind, but not necessarily, like, Political. You can have a deep album, and it doesn't have to be about love or politics or social issues. There, I feel like I'm watching just a collection of B movies that are stuffed into Mike Patton's brain, and he's just <laughs> unleashing it. Um. Yeah. This This is fun, and if we do the next one, I definitely I absolutely have to. That's my favorite I'm one. Kidding. Okay, then I will definitely enjoy hearing Angel Dust in, in its entirety. Yes. All right, what is your next one? All right, my next one is the Batman soundtrack by Prince. <laughs> so much fun revisiting so, this. So much fun. So, Do you remember how big this was? Yes. Oh, okay, this is the thing. It took the entire 80s for us to actually do a Prince album. What the fuck is wrong with us? I don't know. Well, well, well no, remember in the beginning when we had only five choices? That was the problem. We we would get rid of the ones that everybody already knew, and that's why we didn't do them. Because yeah, we're it, trying to pick the stuff that's more under the radar, but when we expanded to 10 is when we started to struggle and I started stuffing in stuff that was well known. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like most of my, you know, it's like most of my picks are so underground you need a helmet and a canary. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Prince, let's be honest, is one of the biggest, most important musical artists of all time. You know, if... If we had just started out going, let's do popular shit, I mean, hell, we would have to have done maybe Purple Rain. Right, but it was only like, what, two years ago we started adding the more, just to fill out ten, we started adding more popular stuff. Yeah, and that's the thing, this was a massive soundtrack. This, This was originally conceived to be a duet album between Prince and Michael Jackson. Really? Where Prince was supposed to do like kind of the pop type songs for the heroes. We're at, uh, we're, yeah, Michael Jackson's doing pop songs, and then Prince was doing like funk tracks for the villains. Uh-huh. And this does, does kind of 
did kind of still happen a little bit uh, conceptually because the tracks are kind of uh, credited to the heroes and villains who are quote-unquote singing them. You know what's funny is I don't remember a lot of the softer songs. I don't remember them in the movie. I even had this album. I don't remember it. But you tell me the, the stuff that was heavily played in the movie, like Trust, Party Man, and uh, a Bat Dance, which actually I don't... Is that even in the movie? I don't think that's in that, the movie. That's, a, that's on the credits, if I remember oh, okay. right. Okay. And it's just... I remember having so much fun listening to this, but then stopping and going, I don't remember this song at all. I must have fast-forwarded past it or something. Yeah. It, and that's the like, there's... There's like romance songs. There's all there's all kinds of stuff in here, but yeah, let's let's be honest. Like, it's Party Man and uh, Trust, which are just like I mean, as as amazing as this album is, those two songs in particular are just fire. Yeah, just, and they, and if you were to put together a top ten list of Prince songs, they have to be in there for me. Oh, definitely definitely but pretty much yeah i at this point prince has you know somewhat started to start you know for flying under the radar where you know i mean uh, not not just the fact that he died but uh he kind of he made tons and tons of music that he never released so he had albums that he released but he never like Got got promoted as much as he would have. Hell, he there's a new Prince album out right now. I saw, yeah, yeah. I was surprised. Yeah. Uh, well, same I'm thing for Tom little... Petty. There's a whole new single that just came out. Yeah, it's like I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of a lot of those uh, archive things that are going to start getting rolled out little by little yeah. at this point. But uh, you know, if anyone's going to try, you know, try some Prince, uh, well. Yeah, listen to the Perforian album. But yeah, uh, then maybe you know, that's... Drug, that was eighty nine. <laughs> you know, this was a a huge thing and a huge deal and definitely worth listening to. So you're next. Uh B fifty two's cosmic thing. The big, huge, maybe their biggest album ever. It's such a massive comeback after the loss of uh, their guitarist. And so they took four years off and come back and I thought their last album was a little weak and did just roar and the whole world remembered who they were or discovered for the first time and I think a lot of it has to do with their uh, producers Niall Rogers and Don Waz um, who were really known for making pop hits I mean to this day everybody knows Love Shack sadly not as much as Rome which I think is a really great song or Channel Z but that Love Shack everybody knows that song oh yeah Love Shack is I guess yeah Love Shop would be the hit I, I do think it's a little weird that Channel Z was the first to single from this album uh huh it like, that's very specific honestly, that was a real channel in Los Angeles well and also it's very much like I don't I don't say it's like the weirdest or you know off you know most off kilter thing that's on the album necessarily but uh it's weird and even for B-52s, it's kind of like, that's a weird thing. Whereas Love Shack is very much like a head, you know, little head bobber, toe tapper thing that you just kind of can enjoy so much. Yeah. Whereas at the same time, Rome really is, it's my favorite song on the album, 100%. 
feels a little bit as an outlier because it's so conventional, I guess. Although yeah. it, do, it does have the little psychedelic, you know, kind of psychedelic feel to it, but uh, it feels a little bit more like, oh, here's a conventional pop song. Whereas, uh, you know, like Topaz, Deadbeat Club, you know, it's like some of these songs that are a little more more feel like a B-52 song. Yeah. Well, Rome, <clears throat> excuse me, Rome uh, has a universal theme. And I think that's what connects emotionally for me better than Love Shack. Love Shack's just a wild, crazy party song. But Rome, I get that, that wandering heart. <clears throat> excuse me. It's, it is a beautiful song. And again, that's, I, like I said, it does have a universal appeal to it. And it's, it, it's not hurt by the fact that, again, that it's well, you know, it's well performed. All the music's great. You know, everything about it is so 100% solid. Because you can have a, a song about a universal topic that is complete and total garbage. Although, ironically, you could also have it be the only good song a band has ever released like <clears throat> rearranged by Limp Bizkit. <clears throat> <laughs> even the songs that I like, even the songs that I enjoy by that shitty band. What the fuck is going on with this band? I don't understand the wig, and I don't understand why people are embracing them again. They fucking blow. They've always fucking blown. Yeah, well, and I will give this to any group, any anything, any music at all. Everyone is entitled to at least one you know, good album. And they blew theirs on their second album. Oh. They literally only have one good album, and they shot it, and they did that. They took that shot way too early in their career to actually have something that is listenable. But again, they basically only have really one song that is genuinely good, and that's it. And what anyway, is that? I don't even know. What is that? Oh, Rearranged. That's their only good... Oh. They're only good song. Sorry, I thought... Okay, go ahead. Your right. turn. Anyway, we're back to... Oh, yeah, we're back to you, 52. Yeah. <laughs> let's see. For me, let's get back to my list. And we are going to say... How about Ice Tea's The Iceberg? Freedom of Speech? Okay. Just watch what you say. I, at first, was confused as to why you chose this. And I listened to the first two songs, and I was like, this is pretty standard stuff. I don't know what so, you know, would make this your list. And all of a sudden, like on the third track, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, it gets better. And then he has the heavy metal track. And then he has my favorite track on, I can't even remember it now, but it's the one with the like the syndicate, I think it was, where it's a bunch of them together working in harmony, bouncing around with different tones. I love that style of hip-hop. What, what, what the hell is that one called? Let's see, that I'll one... Look. Yeah, I think, what is it... Uh... Talk about. Oh, it's more they like say party things. like every ten seconds, but it works. Well, I want to say that might have been. Uh, oh god, uh, this oh, hit the deck maybe. I'll look it up. You go ahead and talk about it. I'll look yeah, it up. but yeah, basically this this was an album that was uh, in response to all the censorship issues he was having on tour. Basically, you saw how easy it was for the for state and federal governments to enforce their will over things, you know, things they felt were profane or dangerous. So basically just wrote an entire album. Uh, first, it kind of has like, you know, sure, 
songs that have his outlandish sexual escapades, you know, Iceberg or uh, The Girl Tried to Kill Me, which uh, that's the one you're talking about, the metal one, because that has Ernie C, who uh, ended up becoming the guitarist for Body Count. Oh, okay. Yeah, the like the consequences of violence with songs like Peel the, Their Calf's Back, uh, The Hunted Child, you know, songs about how ego and hubris will ruin you, like uh, with uh, You Played Yourself. Uh, hit the deck and this one's for me uh, are like advice to upcoming MCs especially this one's for me is basically about his view of of the music industry especially kind of how uh, he's like kind of how public enemy is not exactly what he would be wanting to do because he kind of felt that they were a little uh, not necessarily extreme but not posers either just yeah, I thought were... he was standing up for Public Enemy in that song. It sounded like he was like trying to watch out for them. Like, I, I, I think there was some there was some beef between them, but uh, he's like, yeah. But there's like a social and political commentary with like Lethal Weapon, uh, which is basically about how the mind is actually the most powerful weapon. And of course, the one I think is maybe not maybe the best album uh, track on the album, which is Freedom of Speech. Which is how limited your freedom of speech can be because of people like the PMRC. Yeah. I thought, see, when I heard the iceberg, I was like, this is some low-rent garbage right here. I did not understand it at all. It was just like, yo, my dick's so big and I'm fucking this girl. And I was like, what the hell? Um, but uh, then it corrects its course real quick. But uh, the track that I really liked with the, all the other rappers oh, was What You Want to Do. What You Want to Do. Yeah, what that was really good. Bad. I had it on here as like the very last thing, like, and it has a fun party song. By the way, I thought that you were, when you said the iceberg freedom of speech, just watch what you say. My phone only showed the iceberg slash freedom of speech. When you said just watch what you say, I was like, God damn, John's protective of (laughs) Ice-T. What the fuck? All right, I won't say anything bad about (laughs) Ice-T. Yeah, and yeah, it's, uh, I don't think i've sold you on iced tea yet not yet but but it's this uh again uh, the, the not the previous album the previous album's power but the one right before that uh, is his debut it's like he's kind of growing a bit as an artist and as as a rapper and he's you're starting to see a lot of you know his the maturing in some cases you know granted yes they're still just sex songs but yeah. uh well, this but this idea of you know i do as much as i have you know i still want to be a boisterous uh, braggadocious person there is actual shit for me to say too right it doesn't say much from me that my favorite thing that ice tea has ever done was take girl <laughs> i love him in that role <laughs> well what is your next one uh chris isaac heart-shaped world I can't believe we're like only three quarters of the way through this list. What the fuck? <laughs> 20, 20 albums wow. is a bit. <laughs> uh, this is his big breakthrough album. I, I think it's a little bit weaker than the other ones because now he's trying to go for a more R&B uh, mainstream sound instead of the more rockabilly, which I love, on his last two albums and his very first two albums. But he's still an amazing singer, and his construction of song is so unique to this time period. Nobody else is really making music like this, especially on a major label. 
And of course, everybody knows uh, Wicked Game because that's the one where everybody like gets horny over people getting like lusty on a beach. Um, and it's still an all timer. We played at work, which is weird because I work for a conservative store. But I'm like, this song's about getting it on. <laughs> I want to. I'm waiting for the play. Baby did a bad bad thing. <laughs> well, let, let's be honest. Like a good 70 percent of rock music in from any given era is about having sex. True. We play My Sharona, and that thought that sounds fucking creepy. But yeah, it, this is one I thought it was good but definitely not as good as as the previous ones that yeah. i've heard it's i kind of like yeah it, I, I started hearing like this country feel to it kind of early on i'm like okay that's that's what he's doing with this one like again less rockability less rock kind of a little more it kind of it did kind of feel like he was chasing a little bit more of Let's just kind of do something that's a little more radio. Yeah, well, he got a lot of pressure from the the label. The, the, the first two albums got good critical acclaim. It had a small cult following, but it just wasn't selling. So, I mean, I read into this, and they said they wanted him to push for a more modern sound. So if the next couple albums of his are like this, and that's when I get kind of bored. Yeah, it, I, I don't know. It, like the Wicked Game is definitely the, the hit of the album, and anything else I couldn't... I could probably hear his background music, but yeah. I definitely wouldn't be wouldn't be seeking it out. I feel like this didn't hit in '89. I feel like it hit in 1990. Wasn't Wicked Game part of the Wild at Heart soundtrack? Am I wrong? I yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, and that's when it hit big. It was that summer in that weird fucking movie? I know you love David. I know everybody on the planet loves David Lynch. I don't get him. Yeah. I'm not gonna go like I'm that much in love. I know, I know. We uh, you recently posted the uh, Twin Peaks thing, so yeah. I think you can hear me be a lot more critical of David Lynch than uh, uh, Andrew or Elby. All right, so it's your turn. All right, next one is 808 State 90. Why don't I remember this album? I listened to it and I don't remember it. Crap. Well, okay, <laughs> I'm. Well, I'll get into maybe why you don't remember it. Uh, okay, basically, 808 State takes their name from a type of drum machine called a Roland TR-808. And let, let's add a little bit of context to that. That drum machine has been used on more number one records than any other drum machine. Wow. It was used, it was used, uh, it was used on Marvin Gaye's Sexual Healing, Africa Bombada's Planet Rock, a couple of couple of songs from uh, one of your albums. Uh, it's on records by Whitney Houston, Run DMC, Public Enemy, LL Cool J, Madonna, Kesha, Phil Collins used this thing. So, these are one of the guys. These are one of the pioneers of a thing called Acid House. Okay. Oh, now I remember the album. Yeah, that, I like this one. It was a kind of a mood setter. Yeah, that especially what it is is it's, you know, basically it's like was uh basically as a house is while techno which is while a shorthand for electronic music is a music genre in itself which is basically it's it originally was just kind of like things that people would say oh yeah that's what craft work new order front 242 did uh it's basically music that djs would make for dance music that utilized like a four 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 on the floor beat and you know had a tempo about 120, 150 beat per, beats per minute. Acid House kind of took that, took those ideas, 
and started exploring texture of sound as opposed to creating and exploring like melody and stuff. Yeah. So the idea is like you take these simple bass lines and then you manipulate the frequency and resonance to create a lot more elaborate sounds. And it's kind of hard to talk about because again, what I said is it's effectively a uh, it's sound experiment. It's it's music like that. It's like you know, basically it's like it's the instrumentals for Depeche Mode or New Order songs. It's not like techno music and electronic music that's like this. It's about creating that environment. It's definitely not like uh, it's not as abstract as like Psyche TV or even the Cocteau Twin stuff. But it's an experience and you can't, you know, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. <laughs> and yeah, this is this is the sort of stuff where it's just it's cool and what's nice about 808 state in particular is it's pretty good chill music it's there just kind of like you know there's a lot of, you know later on techno that's very aggressive and dancey or uh, effectively the sound of throwing a, a box of uh, of ball bearings on the ground and making that into music <laughs> um, so like early stomp it, it's you know it, it's things like that where it's like you know people will do interesting things this one was a little bit more of just kind of you know what here's some kind of dancey music there's some stuff that's upbeat you could enjoy it but it's pretty much there for just you know I'm AOA sits here for this album in particular anyway is there for relaxing and so I, I stand by anyone who wants to check this out and for just chilling out. Okay. So what is your next one? My next one is Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. And yes, this does have, uh, on Paul Revere, does use the 808. <laughs> Paul Revere's not on this one. Was it? No, oh, he's shit. on the previous That's... album. And I, I have never made it quiet that I really don't like their previous album. I think it's frat boy, obnoxious bullshit that I had to hear non-fucking-stop. Yes, I own the album. Yes, I listened to it. But I, I'm, we're, still, we're talking like a decade out, and all I could hear still is blasting out of people's cars. But Paul's Boutique is the one that got ignored, even though it was critically acclaimed. And the label was confused by what to do with it, so they kind of casually threw it out there. I think they only had one hit single off this, and that was uh, Rump Shaker, or all... Hey, ladies. No, it was Hey, ladies. Yeah, um, Tr- yeah Shake Your Rump, uh, Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun. Those are also, I think, pretty pretty song- strong tracks. Yeah, they're great, but I don't remember them being a hit single. I remember the video for Rump Shaker and it being too weird for everybody. But uh, I don't remember uh, Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun being a single, but I could be wrong. I was also 12 at the time. so And I did not hear this when it came out. I didn't hear it till like, 94, I want to say. Yeah, it's like I, I didn't hear this till like the like the late nineties. I I've always had a problem with this album. And yeah. it's like I in a general sense I don't particularly like it, but I think it's because it's sonically overproduced. It, it, it's well, it's just trying to do something like I said, EPMD kinda got to it first the year <laughs> earlier. But um, Beastie Boys were trying to create something completely brand new to separate themselves somewhat from their previous album, especially since they were so angry with Russell Simmons by taking all their money. Um, well, but, it's like they, 
the, the people who did this album, who uh, did like the, the beat layers and all that stuff. Yeah, the Dust, Dust Brothers, Brothers, right? Yeah, and they love sampling. Yes, there's they, so much of it. I, I actually yeah. love it because I'm a movie freak and I love trying to figure out what all the samples are from. Yeah. And, and plus, I hear half those songs at work. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you and they, they create these elaborate soundscapes. And I think my, I think my problem with this album is is that they don't know when enough is enough. So it's like they've, they've created this like this Frankenstein of a beat yeah. out of all these things. It's and the, it's the pet it's, sounds of hip-hop. It really is, because yeah. pet sounds itself can be overwhelming. Yeah, and then it's like they, they create this, this thing, and then they add like ten more layers onto that, onto that cake. I, know, I love it, but that's just me. Yeah. It's like Car Thief, for instance – the beat is really interesting, but then there's moments in where the music is just far too much for the vocals themselves, and just kind of starts to distract it. And like Rick Rubin, you know, had was much simpler and kept kind of kept the backing music simple, you know, in a fairly simplistic, because he knew that we were here for the for the Beastie Boys. We were here for that, not necessarily the instrumentals. And I think the Dust Brothers just kind of went, well, again, yeah, I'm, you know, along with Beastie Boys themselves, it's, <clears throat> let's go and, as you said, do something different. And I would actually love just an instrumental-only version of this album. That would be interesting, yeah. I would love to hear this just, just you know, naked. I just want to hear, just hear the beats, just hear, just hear the soundscape, because I... I'm more interested in that than their raps when these two things are combined. Whereas the, yeah, the songs, you know, eh, some songs are good. Some songs I could live without, <laughs> but, uh, I think this either strip down the, strip down the, the layers a little bit and maybe try like, try it again. See if there's a way to, keep the integrity of the songs but not make it so chaotic yeah can you imagine or, how expensive this album would be today with all the samples it would be impossible um, yeah yeah it, like i said that i just like i said i would love to hear just just the beats of these these things that that impresses me more than what what the beastie boys are yeah. actually and, doing. and i think just, that they would focus more on their next album and i i still think that uh, hello nasty is their best album but this is my second favorite yeah, I can I can go with that. I can go with that. All right, your turn. We're at an hour already. Good lord. All right. Well, I'll. This is the last one. I have a lot to say in the other two. I don't have much. So okay. extreme, extreme. The uh, this is. I picked this out mainly because of the closing track, "Play with Me," and it's not because it was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It's a really. This is a band that got famous for one song. Uh, more than words off their second album but Extreme has the best kept secret out there and it's guitarist Nuno Betancourt yeah no one ever talks about him I just yelled into the microphone sorry everybody (laughs) he is yeah he is probably one of the most you know amazing guitarists living today and go on YouTube look up uh, Nuno Betancourt look up like just his solos he is amazing Extreme for the most part, this album is just kind of eh. 
you kind of like you get a couple songs in and it takes you like mother don't want to go to school today all of a sudden it's like Eddie Van Halen just walked into the recording studio and just started playing <sighs> and that's Nuno and it fucking shreds and you know it's like you, you get a couple more good songs and you get to play with me and that that song blows everything out of the water it is amazing and it's he I, I don't I don't understand why Extreme isn't bigger or why Nuno didn't just you know he had so much loyalty to to this band that he stuck around for as long as he has because he could be anywhere he could be doing anything you know he could be in Van Halen he could, he could have replaced Eddie Van Halen and no one would have batted an eye yeah <laughs> wrong person to replace <laughs> I still have never listened to that Van Halen 3 no it's not a good album even even by even I'm not a I'm not a Van Hagar fan but it's even worse than Van Hagar ooh you're gonna suffer in 1991 <laughs> for unlawful carnal knowledge yes huh? it's it's the only album up there that I really like yeah Hey. Well, it's got, it's yeah. got right now. It's yeah, good. we'll wait. But anyway, what's your what's your next one? Uh, Young MC, Stone Cold Ryman. I owned this tape as a kid too, and I didn't notice until just now. Uh, it was also produced by the Dust Brothers. They must have moved straight from Paul's Boutique right into this. But this is more coherent. Well, they they think they produced like a song on it. Oh, because it's it's produced by I forget who it is. I, I Quincy looked, Jones. I looked, it says Quincy Jones and Dust Brothers. Yeah, I think Quincy Jones and God, because I, I was looking up on Wikipedia and they had a couple of things. But I know that uh, that most of the songs were were not them, and we're not the Dust Brothers. Because again, it's I wish I could find which song it was. I think wish I wrote it down because apparently I didn't. But anyway, I only know "Bust a Move" off this album. It's it is. A fire, you know that that song is amazing. Yeah, and it's kind of a war crime that that song is now obscure. Yeah, I mean, except for the fact it got a brief revival in that one movie, uh, Up in the Air. That's a it's a, a piece of that movie. But yeah, in general, it's been completely forgotten. No one ever brings it up. I still know it almost completely by heart. Um, I didn't know that Flea did the bass on this until just now. Oh, I did not. I don't think i noticed that either yeah though. i looked it up and fleeted the okay. bass tracks for uh two and three so uh, the first three i think are really in so uh, our first four so uh, tracks are really really solid uh i don't really remember much after that but i remember listening to this all the time and just really loving it it, it was uh, very nostalgic for me to revisit it yeah like i'll say this uh fastest rhyme is fun but wait till we get to uh the mid 90s and we and i and i give you some bone thugs and harmony I've never even listened. I've, I remember the track, the singles, but I, I've never listened to Bone Thugs. So I'm, I guess oh. we'll hit that in the '90s. It's going to yeah, be interesting we'll... for us because you remember how we mentioned, like in 1985, I was like, we have no albums here by anybody who isn't white, and we felt really bad about it. But now we're starting to hit the glory days of hip hop before gangster rap's really going to take off. I'm not big on gangster rap, but I do love hip hop, yeah. and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun discovering, like through the '90s, how our taste is going to change from where we started. Yeah, because it's. It, there's so much stuff like as, as great as there are some in the 90s my god uh, great there in the 80s the 90s is really where 
there's a huge musical yeah, cornucopia. Yeah. For me, yeah. like 90 to 93, and then like 97 on. Oh, God, it's glorious. But there's, yeah. there's a lull there in the middle where it's just too much gangster, like Snoop Dogg kind of West Coast style I don't care for. Yeah. Now, I'll say this. This album is okay. Like, part of me goes, Young MC should have been able to uh, retire on Bust a Move. Just period. Like, like that. that's the only song he should have ever needed to have written. And in that overall though i do think the album is okay but it's just very safe yeah like, well i mean this is when hip-hop's trying to get to the moms and pops and show that it's not dangerous and uh yeah and it's like it's something my, my parents would have been okay with me listening to and it's not a complaint but i do kind of wish it was a little bit more party maybe like i, I kind of wish it was a the album wasn't what it was necessarily yeah i can't like i, said, I think it it fits in the Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff mold. Yeah, I, 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 I wish it was more fun than it is. All right. Next, yeah. Next, your turn. My next one is... My name is... <laughs> All right. Concrete Blonde, free. I was actually surprised by this, and I'm, I'm a little shocked that no one ever told me about Concrete Blonde before. I mean, I heard the name, but no one ever told me, and I'm, I'm angry with all of you. I'm so disappointed. Free and their next album, Bloodletting, are phenomenal. Yeah. And what's what I think is this is a band that never got the the due that they really should have. Well, I think it's because they don't have a lockdown sound. They're very expansive in what they wanted to do musically, and and I I just think there was something that radio wasn't embracing at the time because it was all still hair metal. Well, then that's the thing. It's like had you shifted these albums, like say. This album came out in '92, or maybe '93. Yeah, I can see that. They would have been huge. Like, we would, we would still have Concrete Blonde albums going. Now we would. This would be like the one of the biggest bands of the '90s. You know, the God is a Bullet, Scenes of a Perfect Crime, uh, Roses Grow, this track that's basically just percussion and vocals, like. Oh man, uh, Jeanette uh, Napol ah. Napol ah. Why can't I say her last name? Napolitano's uh, voice. You made she's, that word up. That doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, she's got she's got a last name like mine, where it's just you look at it and then you your brain can't you it just starts to seize up. And I apologize, but yeah, this album, I. I I was torn between doing this one and Bloodletting. Bloodletting's a kind of a little more gothicy, but you know, I, you know, free, free is. If if I if I need something, I'll do I'll do Bloodletting again. But yes, this album's amazing. That's all I have to say. Yep. Okay, I think you're on your. Your last one? I'm also also, also on my last legs. I got up so early and I'm tired. So here we go. Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation. Holy fucking shit. Why do we not... I feel like no one talks about Janet Jackson anymore, but she had like three or four albums in a row that were fucking massive. And and yet I feel like we don't talk about her anymore. Yeah, and that's the thing is, I... Okay, uh, this album's amazing. I do think Control is a lot more of an entertaining album. Yeah, Control was better, yeah. But this is much more mature, 
it's not because of the social commentary, but it's lyr- lyrically and musically, it shows a whole hell of a lot of growth, and there's fire. Yeah, but, and there's con- it's a concept album. Yeah, although it, there's there's these interludes in the songs, and I think, I, I get the idea behind them, but one, there's way too fucking many of them. Yeah, I'm looking at it right I mean, now, I didn't realize until yeah, just now. Good lord. The, yeah, out of the first ten tracks, half of those are interludes. And also, how can Pledge, the first track, be an interlude? It's <laughs> true. It <laughs> uh, yeah, it, Rhythm Nation is such a great song. Uh, Miss You Much is a, a really good one. Um, and I remember Escapade. Oh, Black yeah. Cat, of course, is a fucking badass song. Yeah, the State of the World. Yeah, this. I feel like all these songs are singles. Let me look. Uh, definitely, Rhythm Nation, Escapade, definitely, uh, Miss You Much, definitely. <clears throat> State of the World, I'm pretty sure was. Black Cat, I know was. Uh, okay, so there's only eight tracks on this album. Or sorry, ten tracks on this album. The rest are interludes. Eight of them were singles. Eight. <laughs> it is. It is so damn good. Like, wow. yeah, it's. But yeah, this was also like the, the, the tour that cost the most money. Wow. Uh, if I remember right, it was like the most expensive tour at at least at the time. I'm sure at this point there are far more expensive tours, but it was like it was obscene like the millions that were spent on it. But you know what? For for that it would have been worth it, I think. Yeah. But I remember it exhausted her and she kinda of took some time away and then when she came back with uh Janet, which everybody remembers as the hey, there's hands on her boobs uh, album that one was much more low key. Yeah, I, I remember that like that velvet rope. Uh, I remember those albums. I know I'd seen videos on MTV, but I couldn't tell you anything from. No, that. I couldn't it's, tell you a single album, a uh, single from this. Like, it's this is this album in control that I know the most. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's the way love goes. That's the only one that I remember. So what what didn't make your list? Okay, uh, wait. Did you do all ten? I haven't done all ten yet, but we'll. Okay. Um, so what almost made my list was Tesla, the Great Radio Controversy, um, Op IV Energy, uh, Cindy Lauper, Night to Remember, um, Motley Crue, Doctor Feelgood. Those are the ones that I was really hemming and hawing about. Yeah, it's like I was looking at doing Fish's Junta, uh, Pretty Boy Floyd's Leather Boys with Electric Toys. Uh, meet Beat Manifestos, Storm the Studio, Two Life Crews as Nasty as They Wanna Be, Bad Religions No Control, and the self-titled debut from Skid Row. Nice. Oh, I should have added that one. I totally forgot it even existed. I would have replaced... I, I know there's not, but I probably would have replaced with that. <laughs> Elvis Costello, yeah. Spike, you're off. <laughs> now, now, granted, there was also... Tom Petty and... <laughs> yeah, and a few of the ones I stole from you. <laughs> Uh, but my final album is Nirvana's debut, Bleach. Now, it's it's like kind of like if uh, early uh, Black Sabbath wrote pop songs. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. actually surprised how uh, catchy this was. Well, it's like it, especially about a girl is maybe the poppiest uh, thing. Although Swap Meet really does kind of sound like it's an outtake from Nevermind. Uh, I don't think this is a particularly great album. And in, in a way, I do kind of think it's a miracle that anyone heard it 
and then felt that they could have done Nevermind thereafter. Yeah. Because, let's be honest, it was recorded for pennies. This album has this total live-in-the-studio feel. It's like, uh, it's a noisy kind of, like, Mud Honey meets the Pixies, you know, but messier. You know, but the thing is, it got a lot of good press. But what's funny is I also kind of was looking at some of these reviews, and it kind of seemed very backhanded in a sort of, good for them. Sub Pop signed a band that might be, you know, might actually have some talent, maybe. You know, it it's weird at how this album, I, I really think it had to, it's less this album, I think more of their performance, like their live performances that showed that this was going to be, this this band had this, the chops to do this. Right. But again, because again, it's most like, like with Nevermind, it's mostly, uh, uh, Kirk Cobain's, t- you know, Kirk Cobain doing this music, because I think you have you have the uh, uh, Kurt, uh, Kurt, what's his name, uh, was I think in in that, but they didn't have Dave Grohl yet. Dave Grohl doesn't show up until they're going to record Nevermind. So, so they had a completely different drummer, and they even had a secondary guitarist who I think was, if he wasn't the guy who paid for their recording sessions, it was just someone else who was there. Who also got shit canned pretty quick. <laughs> so, it's basically kind of took it took two years, partial lineup change, and Butch Vig to basically give us an album that would literally change music forever. But this is, and definitely an interesting step to listen to. Yeah, I, I did not mind it. I actually kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, I was. This was one where I fought over because. Again, Skid Row or Bad Religion. But that is it for me. Yep, and I'm on the ropes, kids. I'm pretty sleepy right now. I apologize. Uh, so check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. And where can we catch you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at Musician, M Y U Z I S H I O N. And that is it, kitties. Uh, we'll be back soon with the a new segment. Kind of a spinoff from a show that we used to do together called Comics on Infinite Earths, where we're going to be discussing the comic book events of 1989. And of course, as usual, we will do the video games of 1989, and we'll see you then, or hear you then, or you'll listen to us then. I don't remember how that works. I'm stupid. One of those things. (laughs) Yep. All right. Bye. Later, guys.